Welcome to Close Wars, the podcast that occasionally gets very angry at Target. I'm your host, Amanda, and this is episode 123. I just want you to know that as I'm recording this, Brenda is curled up on a chair behind me and she looks so cute. I wish you were all here to see it. She is the cutest sleeper in my household. <laughs> anyway, that's beside the point. Today, I'll be joined by Christina of Inchworm Crafts, a crochet pattern tester and designer. And she's going to explain all of the hard work, there's so much, that goes into creating and testing a pattern. It was a whole new world for me. We'll talk about the classist undertones of the crafting community, especially when it comes to crochet. We'll talk about how activism is a relay race, the need for more solidarity between crafters, and how our sense of value is a little messed up when it comes to stuff versus ideas and knowledge. Yeah, we have so much on our plate today. This is a pretty long conversation, so I want us to get right down to business. But first, I wanted to talk about fabric for a few minutes. If you follow Close Horse on Instagram, which surely you do at this point, then you know for the past few weeks I've been doing a series of posts about fabrics, specifically synthetic fabrics, from poly to nylon to faux fur to the semi-synthetics like viscose. It's been quite an undertaking. I think I thought I would do it all in a week and like we're like two, at least 2 weeks in now and there's still so much to cover. I'm not even close to being finished. It just is the really depressing gift that keeps on giving. To be honest, I think I'm going to deserve an honorary degree in chemistry by the time I'm done because I've learned so much myself over the past few weeks. One question slash message slash comment I've been receiving over and over again is, hey, could you put together a list of fabrics that we should buy, a list of the best fabrics? Oof. That sounds like an easy question, a simple request. But like everything else I discuss around here, it's just not. Because in 2022, every fabric has a catch. And it's important for us to know the catch for all of those fabrics so we can make the best decision for ourselves. It's important for us to be smarter and more knowledgeable about the things we buy and don't buy. Sure, some of the name brand versions by companies like Lensing seem better, but we'll never know for sure. And even the Lensing fabrics with their closed loop chemical use, that sounds great, they still contribute to deforestation. Overconsuming Lensing viscose is still overconsuming trees and energy, and resources, and time. Yes, I guess buying clothes made of recycled plastic is marginally better than buying items made of brand new polyester. But then again, is it? Yes, plastic bottles are being recycled to make that fabric, but tons of energy and resources are required to get there. And new virgin polyester is added into the mix to make the fabric more stable and desirable. Furthermore, that fabric is not recyclable. That marginal betterness, that super slim difference between recycled poly and brand new poly, 
it doesn't make it okay to buy stuff we don't need. When people ask for a list of fabrics or brands that are good to shop, I kind of freeze up. Because much in the way greenwashing is engineered to make us feel good about shopping and guiltless about overconsumption, I worry that giving a seal of approval on this fiber or that brand will lead to the same thing. Yes, there are brands on a personal level that I fucking love. I love what they're doing. I love their ethics. I love their effort. And I want to support them. But I worry that saying those names out loud will lead everyone to buy more than they actually need just for the positive feeling of being part of something. I get that because I've done the same thing myself. But I also recognize that we need answers, right? Because otherwise, you read these posts about all of these terrible fabrics and you you panic. I've, I've panicked. You think, well, I guess I'll just be naked from now on. And yeah, I've been... I've been in that space too, but it turns out that most stores and restaurants have a no shirt, no shoes, no service policies. So rather than saying, hey, these are the fabrics you should buy because they're better, I'm going to take this approach instead, how to make better decisions about what you buy, the fabric edition. (laughs) It's important to always, and I mean all caps always, Check out the care and content labels in every garment you buy before you buy it, whether it's new or secondhand. In the United States, it's illegal to sell a new garment that does not contain a care and content label. And if you're shopping online, that info should be available on the product page. Honestly, if you're shopping secondhand, that information should be there because the label, if it's still in the garment, says what it is. If it's not, whether that's a new garment or secondhand garment, I would just say buyer beware because that feels unethical to me. Why do I want you to read this label? Well, for one, it's important for you to know the fabric you're buying. As I've been bringing up a lot here on the podcast and on Instagram, a lot of these synthetic fabrics come in many disguises and they can be very deceptive. You might think it feels light and airy on the hanger, but it could still be fully unbreathable polyester. I mean, the manufacturing of polyester has gotten so good, most people don't know what they're buying. I also want you to understand the lifespan of that fabric because you're making a commitment. If that fabric is synthetic, it's going to be on this planet for centuries. Buying it isn't a decision to take lightly. Sure, nothing is disposable, but a synthetic is mega undisposable, not something to be worn a couple of times and then tossed. And if it's a rayon viscose kind of thing, I want you to recognize the chemicals and energy used to create it. Once again, it's not something to be casually purchased and never worn. Even if it is 100% cotton, maybe it's organic cotton, I want you to take a moment and visualize the time and the resources like water and transportation and energy and all the humans involved in making that garment. Taking that time makes impulsive purchases a lot less impulsive. Recognizing the true impact of a garment's fabric can help you slow down the shopping process 
and maybe even pass on things that you don't truly love and intend to wear for a long time. That moment of, whoa, that's a lot, can help you pick only things worth a true commitment to care, mending, and wearing. And I want you to know that this is a fabric that you will wear and care for properly. Are you willing to hand wash or dry clean this item? Because if the care instructions call for that, and you're more of a washing machine dryer kind of person, then this is not the garment for you. Are you willing to take on the responsibility of minimizing the microplastic shedding of this garment? Then go for it. If you're not, skip it. You know what? It's okay to be honest with yourself about your limitations in terms of time, space, etc. So yes, there are fabrics that are better than others. But there's also a lot of greenwashing out there. And there's no miracle fabric that allows us to shop till we drop and barely wear any of it. There's no fabric that makes it okay to overconsume. Even those lensing fabrics aren't okay to buy, wear once or twice, and then stuff in the donation bin. Even if you were buying clothes made of paper, it wouldn't be okay to overconsume them because they come from trees. The best fabric for you is the fabric you're going to wear a lot and care for in the best way possible. Ask yourself, will I wear this often and for a long time? Guess what? The answer for that to that question is different for all of you. One of my favorite brands to buy secondhand is Selkie. If you're not familiar with that brand, they are these froofy organza dresses that some might think are too wild for daily wear. I literally wear them to work, the grocery store, everywhere, and I don't wash them. I just spot clean them and fluff them up when needed. That's a choice that works for me and my life and my taste and who I am as an individual. It's a terrible idea for so many other people. Next, ask yourself, Can I wear this comfortably in the climate I live in? Like if you live in New Orleans where it's humid and warm, poly chiffon or a sulky puff dress probably isn't a great idea. Next, ask yourself, does this fabric and garment work with my own personal concerns? Are you super sweaty, prone to overheating? Then maybe an acrylic sweater is a bad idea because they they don't breathe and they make you really warm. Do you get a rash from wool? I do, even between my fingers and on my face. So I don't wear wool, even though it lasts forever and is biodegradable. That's an important personal choice for me. In fact, I just skip sweaters altogether because none of them work well enough for me to make the commitment. Next, ask yourself, am I willing to care for this properly? Whether it's hand washing, line drying, ironing, whatever else. If you don't have space for a drying rack or a wash line, this is something to consider. If you're working three jobs like today's guest, Christina, then hand washing, there might not be time to pencil that in. And that's fine too. Be honest with yourself. Next, if it's faux fur or polyester, are you committed to dealing with microplastic shedding? If it's faux fur, You need to brush it off before you leave the house and toss the long hairs in the trash. Like I have a denim coat with a faux fur collar that I bought back in like 2018, 2019, and I brush it every time I'm about to leave the house. I'm just in the habit. If it's 
faux leather, are you willing to keep it dry, store it somewhere dry, prolong the life of it by keeping it dry? (laughs) Do you notice a trend there? For every other synthetic kind of clothing, are you willing to buy a Cora ball or a guppy bag or a filter for your washing machine? These are all things to consider. And lastly, do you love this garment enough to mend and repair it? To be careful around fences, hot coffee, spaghetti buffets, cats, paintball battles, because that's how you know you're ready to make a commitment to that item. Once again, there is no miracle fabric. There is only the right choice for you. All of you in the clothes horse community know that I'm obsessed with two things. Number one is leading a hashtag secondhand first way of life, meaning prioritizing the use of existing materials and items rather than buying new. And number two, supporting small businesses. I firmly believe that small business is the future and our future depends on the intersection of secondhand first and small business. That's the sweet spot right there. But real talk, running a small business, I know some of you are about to nod your heads as I say this, running a small business is hard and it's kind of overwhelming to know where to begin. It's even more complicated when it's a small business with a focus on upcycling. If you're a maker who has been thinking about starting your own business using upcycled materials or you're looking to really, I don't know, level up your existing upcycling business and turn it into a full-time job that actually pays your bills, then I have a suggestion for you. Check out the Rags to Riches Virtual Textile Upcycling Summit on April 20th through 22nd. Learn from the pros how to grow a textile upcycling business that you love, that supports the planet and your ideal lifestyle. Learn from the pros how to grow a textile upcycling business that supports the planet and you. Rags to Riches shines bright light on leaders in textile upcycling. You'll have the chance to learn from entrepreneurs, manufacturers, suppliers, authors, and activists offering alternative options in textile consumption. You'll also establish tangible next steps to level up your upcycling business. Yes, you can turn your business into a full-time job that supports and sustains you. And you'll also get to submerge yourself in the company of awesome people who are working to do better for the planet and make really cool stuff. After attending Rags to Riches, you'll know that you are part of our environmental solution. Textile upcycling entrepreneurs, thinkers, authors, and activists will expand your knowledge of careful consumption. You'll learn a dependable method for sourcing goods and materials. You'll be able to reliably source materials beyond the thrift stream. You'll network with and support upcycling brands that align with your values and aesthetic. And you'll understand the power of your purchases, both as a business and as an individual. You will realize once and for all that creative textile upcycling is a viable, sustainable business option. You'll hear from makers who have traveled diverse paths to arrive at their business sweet spot by being financially sustainable and defining success on their own terms, all while doing great things for the planet. And you'll have tangible next steps to level up your 
upcycling. You'll learn from the pros as they share specific expertise that will engage, inspire, and help you know the importance to both you and the planet of taking your textile upcycling up a notch. Tickets for Rags to Riches include three solid days of inspiration and education, 60 days of free access to Stitcherhood, which is an inclusive community of upcycling entrepreneurs. You'll get access to a private Rags to Riches networking group, a virtual goodie bag, games and prizes, and so much more. Go learn more at bit.ly slash Rags to Riches Summit. Something most of you might not know about me is that I actually studied painting in college. How I ended up in fashion is a whole other, much longer story. For me, there's nothing more relaxing and enjoyable than cozying up to some canvas or some really nice watercolor paper with a brush and paint. For me, the act of painting is almost meditative. I always feel fresh and ready to conquer anything when I finish. And my favorite subject matter, just on a personal level, is painting portraits of other people. In fact, I would say my number one artistic influence is 20th century portrait artist Alice Neal. Go check her out. Her sons made an incredible documentary about her. It makes me cry every time I watch it. Five stars. Whether your style is more Alice Neal, Jackson Pollock, or that raccoon on Instagram that paints, you know who I'm talking about. There is something so magical about taking some time to yourself to move paint around with a brush. But you know what's not magical? Tracking down those supplies. It feels like such a super unfun errand. And half the time, you can't find what you're looking for because these days, art supply stores are a disappearing breed. Fortunately, proud close horse sponsor Let's Make Art makes it easy with amazing products and tutorials for you so you can focus on the good part learning and making art. Let's Make Art is a revolutionary crafting company that aims to help everyone channel their inner artist, whether they're 3, 63, or 103, by delivering great art supplies and kits directly to your front door. You don't have to spend four years at art school to enjoy painting, but I know that getting started can be intimidating. What kind of brushes should you buy? Never mind paper, pens, paints, and so on. The first time I walked into an art supply store, I was simultaneously excited and really freaked out. What if I chose the wrong thing? What if I embarrassed myself at the checkout by trying to mix acrylics and oils? Would the salespeople laugh at me after I walked out of the store? mortifying. Fortunately, Let's Make Art offers a monthly art box that includes supplies and tutorials, including free lessons from in-house artists. That helps you make some magic of your own with paint. And if you're already a great master, Let's Make Art has plenty to offer you too, with a well-curated assortment of paints, brushes, and other supplies. I'm an oil painter first, but my other two favorite media are gouache and ink, and Let's Make Art has a great selection of those, along with watercolor, acrylic, watercolor pencils, another personal favorite, and so much more. If you're feeling stuck about what to paint happens to all of us, Let's Make Art has got you covered with an assortment of pre-assembled kits for painting landscapes, animals, and just generally beautiful things. They also, these kits, they make great gifts. What else? Let's Make Art offers supplies, kits, and tutorials for watercolor painting, lettering, 
all kinds of other things, including kits for kids ages 5 to 11. There's nothing better than watching them use their own imagination and feel the joy of creating something of their very own. It's a pretty great gift as well. Let's make art simple together. Check out Let's Make Art today by going to my special link, zen.ai slash clotheshorse. I'll be sharing that in the show notes, of course. That's zen.ai slash clotheshorse to get 20% off. The coupon code is activated at checkout. Okay, now let's get down to the main event, my conversation with Christina of Inchworm Crafts. I'm really excited for you to meet her because we're going to be touching on all kinds of things in this conversation. It's also exciting for me, and hopefully for you too, to learn all of the work and thought that goes into things we kind of take for granted, like pattern making and testing and all this other stuff, just craft in general. And by the way, in case you didn't know this, I had to look it up too. Frogging refers to unraveling your work. You're going to hear it right away as we jump into this conversation, and I wanted you to know what it means. So let's go. Christina, why don't you introduce yourself to everyone? Hi, I'm Christina of Inchworm Crafts. I mostly focus on it with Inchworm Crafts on, I guess, sustainability and crochet, but when, what that looks like in that space. So for me, it's a lot of like stash busting patterns. And I love doing a great like size inclusive 70s and like vintage inspired patterns. Um, and I've noticed recently someone commented they like making my patterns because they're very meditative. So mm. I think that's another good way <laughs> to describe <laughs> yeah. some of my patterns is I love writing crochet patterns that ideally will bring people joy and bring them a little peace. And some of it is just a result of what I like to crochet, which is I use crochet to frequently help regulate my ADHD and anxiety. So I don't need something super duper complicated. I wanted to have a little bit of a challenge, but I want to also <laughs> be able to zone out. <laughs> totally, totally. I mean, I think for me, that's my favorite part of knitting for sure. It's like being somewhere else. Yeah. And just, I don't know. I, I find it very meditative. That is a great way, a great term for it. So, you know, a lot of people have crocheted or knitted from patterns, I, a lot of people have sewn from patterns. How long does it take you to create a crochet pattern? Oh, goodness, golly. That is <laughs> – it, it's so hard to say because, like, frogging is a thing. I'm literally working on frogging something I was working on as we speak because everyone has a different process. I tend to start from noodling around with yarn, so to speak. Like, I have my hook, I have the yarn, and then I have an idea in my head – and I feel like if I sketch it out, I get more confused. So I just see if I can make it with it. And it can take all kinds of different paths. Sometimes it, I get it right the first time. That is <laughs> a rarity. And by the first time, I really honestly mean like the third or fourth time. There's other times where I think it took takes me like 10 minutes. Oh, Not wow. 10 minutes, like 10 like 10, 20 tries. That's what I really meant. Oh, 10, okay. I was like, tries. 10 minutes? Yeah, no, that. absolutely not. <laughs> I have never had a 10-minute pattern. That would be like just a strip. You'd be like, here's like a choker. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah. so I start with that. And then, so I start with like the noodling around process. And then I eventually write it up. Um, I 
no, my writing isn't always like the best first time around. And also this is just goes for anyone. I think I don't know what's like missing from a pattern until someone else tells me. Mm, yeah. And yeah. so I typically send my pattern to a tech editor um, and they like, I pay the tech editor and they're like, Hey, um, this isn't a word. Um, I go, <laughs> Oh yeah, you're right. It's not. Um, you're right. That's, that's bonkers. Um, oops. And I fix <laughs> it from there. I go through their notes and I fix it from there. Um, and then I like to send, then I usually do what's called a tester call. And so pattern testers are beautiful, wonderful individuals who test your pattern to see like, Hey, what's the fit? Like, Hey, when this, when you're like reading the section of pattern, does it make human sense? Yeah, that's makes, I mean, it's like, I love that you're sharing this because I think the average person has no, no idea that this is Absolutely. happening behind the scenes. No, they, I honestly, I don't think I knew it till I became a pattern tester because I was a pattern tester before I started designing. Um, and I remember like learning about it because I was like, do I want to start designing? And I think I was like looking at a random forum and someone said, all designers should be pattern testers first. And I was like, I don't know what that is. So I should probably start there. Um, <laughs> I I like that. I, I, do, I think that that is, I mean, I think. I love when I have conversations with people about something that I literally have no idea about, you know, and learn that there's all this work. It's the same thing with like podcasting. I even, before I started a podcast, figured I would just like plug a microphone into my computer, talk for a little bit, and that would be that. And I'm like, oh no, it's like so much work. There's so much behind the scenes editing and refinement and brainstorming and research and building. And patterns, it sounds like are the same way. There's, there's, it's more than just making a sample no it's and even then because there's sometimes I write the pattern and things I learn from the sample I end up deviating a little bit within the pattern so it still mostly looks the same but there's like very teeny tiny things I changed because I was like why would I do that to anybody else <laughs> that was a Makes terrible sense. time for me why would I do that to someone else um, right and I'm able to figure out usually with the testers what works better, but also there's sometimes the input testers give me that I realize like, oh, you're right. Um, the way I have this written right now or the way this goes right now isn't the best way it could go. And so they usually sometimes will steer me into like better places, which I am so grateful for. I absolutely love my pa the pattern testers I get to work with. I absolutely love working with them. Generally, most of the pattern testers I've met are just like really awesome people, in my opinion. I am very biased because I love them. And I also, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> I, frankly, there is also like, as a designer, you need them to like you back. <laughs> That makes sense. I I get that. So let's let's talk about the pattern testers because yeah. this is probably another like once again, people probably think that you like knit, you crochet something up and you're like I wrote down what I did, here's the pattern, the end. But yeah. as you said, like the pattern testing is such an important part of it. It is. And there's definitely people who they do do that where they like I made it, I wrote it, I'm selling it to you. And <laughs> I will be honest, in my biased opinion, because I go through the channels I go through, I don't tend to want to pay a lot of money for those patterns or at all, personally, because typically you're going to come across some glaring issues with it. 
Mm-hmm. that you wouldn't come across if it had gone through a tech editor and or testers because not everyone can afford a tech editor not everyone can um i guess have the has a time for testers necessarily because it can be a very time intensive process mm-hmm. that makes sense yep. so tell me what happened so you create this pattern you've you've already sent it off to the tech editor yes. and so they're they're they've given it back to you where do you find the testers Ah, so I typically do my tester calls. Um, That's what it's called, like when you're calling out for testers to help you. Um, I typically do them on Instagram and I'll do them a little bit on TikTok as well. Um, There is not as much of a pattern tester community yet on TikTok. I think it's slowly moving there as Instagram shoots itself in its foot. Um, Seriously. And (laughs) so it's like slowly showing up there, but... I mostly find them on Instagram and I will also use, um, I will also frequently submit to the account um, fat test knits because mm-hmm. um, fat pattern testers tend to be fat or plus size, whichever term you prefer, um, tend to be the most difficult to find. And a lot of that is because they are not always, I would just say like treated well. <laughs> Not surprised. Um, Which like really sucks. And so I find just like trying to find them is like, it's hard. And some of it's also because there's not always a lot of equity in testing. And I don't think people do it on purpose. I think it's also, Mm -hmm. I think even just being able to be like a pattern designer, someone who writes patterns um, can start to get a little pricey. Mm -hmm. Um, I can see that. Yeah. And like yarn itself can start to like anyone who does any kind of fiber art, like regardless of the yarn they're using, they're like, yeah, it's expensive. Um, (laughs) Because like yarn is expensive. It really is. And like, I think no matter what price point you're going to, if you're someone who tends to buy like even pound of love, which is generally considered a like quote cheaper, you're, you're probably buying that because that is what you can afford or like mm-hmm. what you can afford for that project. It's not because you're like, like, so like, even if you go to the different price points in that, you're going to have people be like, yeah, it's super pricey. So you have people who they have a lot of skill. They want to make stuff, but they have been done so dirty. <laughs> um, so you'll be like, hey, do you want to make my thing? And they're like, yeah, um, I would need way more yarn for that. And you are only giving me three weeks to make that. I both have to save up to buy that yarn. And then I have to just have a turnaround time that will make my wrist fall off. No, you yeah. do not get my help. And then I think what I find more surprising is designers like, well, fat testers never want to work with me. I'm like, did you ever think about why? <laughs> like, do you think yeah. about why? Do you think about yeah. the, fa- the fact that like in fat, uh, fat test knitters, that account will literally lay it out for people. They're like, it costs more and they have, they, they're literally making a larger garment. You need to give them more time. And if right. you can't afford to, you need to figure out how to like do yarn support. Yarn support being when you either send someone yarn or you pay for them to buy yarn. Um, so all of my tests, all of my pattern tests, I do my best to make sure I give my testers an exorbitant amount of time. 
Uh, one, because I'm busy and I can't always answer their questions right away. So it's not mm-hmm. fair of me to be like, you're, you still have a deadline that I'm not even meeting. Right. Um, and two, it's because things can happen during a test, but also like life happens. And so mm-hmm. I tend, I've begun also more recently having it to be like a little bit more of a discussion with testers once the test gets started of like, hey, this is the day I was thinking. What day would, you, would like, is this good? Is this bad? And then I check in about halfway through and be like, how is everyone doing? Are we still feeling like the deadline we set for ourselves is doable or do you need more time? Um, and that I think also helps make it easier because it's also not like, it's not becoming, you know, like, let's turn us around. And some of that is I have the ability to do that because I don't work with a whole lot of brands. So because mm-hmm. I'm not working under deadlines set by someone else, I'm the one setting the deadlines, I can be a lot more accommodating of that. I do want to recognize that like some designers, because that's how they have to pay their bills is working with brands. Um, they don't necessarily always have that like ability, but I try to use the fact that I am not super big to my tester's advantage, if anything, to be like, hey, I can give you more time. Like, hey, I can try to figure this one out. We can arrange yarn support. So also the other thing I love to do with my test, and this was recommended to me by a friend, is I have like yarn support from like tester to tester. So right mm-hmm. now I am not in a position where I can like give yarn support to every single one of my testers, but I mostly try to save the yarn support for those who are low income and those who, um, and, or those who are, uh, are making the plus size garment, making the larger size garments. Um, and so they, um, so it's people who sometimes they have a bunch of stuff in their stash. They're like, I don't think I ever see myself making something with it, but it's dang good yarn. Mm-hmm. It's still usable. I just don't want to use it personally. And I think most crafters, they're like, yes, I have that in my stash. Um, <laughs> and so they will send that directly to another tester. We, they, we send pictures. It's not like you sign up for yarn support and it's like, this is what you get. Um, <laughs> and it's orange or something. It's, it's yeah, terrible. It's this terrible color that you hate. Um, but make it work. Um, no, it's, I, I have everyone take pictures and I have, I send it out in an email, like, here's the yarn that we have. That's like easy to send. And then some people they're like, I live in the, in the Philippines and I need yarn support. And I'm like, yeah, we're not sending it to you. (laughs) Um, we will send you money. Yeah. Money sounds great. I mean, it would go a lot further. I mean, can you imagine the shipping? Like, yeah, just here's some money. No, it's, and so then we have like a small pool of like, I put some of my own money in there because, and I have some of my own money or some of my own yarn that's like available for people to send. They have never wanted the one I have though. I'm like getting a little insulted. Um, (laughs) Like you don't want my yarn. Um, I'm either going to have to figure out how to use it or donate it at this point. Oh man, Um, I hear you on that. (laughs) It's beautiful too. I think it's beautiful. I just don't know if I'm ever going to use it. That's a different, that's a different thing. Um, So, and like, basically like a pool of money gets made from people who are like, yeah, I can definitely give like 10, 20, 40 bucks to this. Like for someone else to like have some nice yarn to make this thing with. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. it's more fun. And I think they also see it as, a way to get more people involved in pattern testing combined with like pattern testing, depending on how you run it 
is a really wonderful way to like kind of make friends within the fiber community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen it happen. I actually like some of the friends I've made has literally been a result of pattern tests we were both a part of. And so you're like, oh, hey, you're here too. That's so cool. It's literally, it's the equivalent of like, you all sign up for some kind of like event and you show up and you're like, oh, hey, my buddy's here. I didn't know you're going to be here. <laughs> um, and you see it in the chat and it's the cutest thing. I love it. Um, and that's the other thing is like, it is a way to build community. So that's right. why to me, it's kind of how cost prohibitive it can be makes it so much more of a bummer. And it's also why I think we have a responsibility to like kind of take a little bit of that bummer away. Mm-hmm. I think it's 100% like those of us who can and like those of us who are in a position of power to do so in some way, shape or form. Um, and I'm not pretending I'm over here like the most powerful yarn person that's ever <laughs> we- existed. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry to tell you. Um, but we do all have power. I mean, I think that exactly. that's something that we yes. forget, you know, like, and it can make, it can make you feel so defeated. It can. But but we can. We we can do a lot more than we think we can. Oh, 100%. Sure. And so I think even just like, because sometimes I've also like talked to other people about um, some of this. And I think just having some of these conversations about what it can look like. And I'm not pretending that my version of like pattern testing is like one everyone should do. Um, Because Mm -hmm. I, one, I don't think that's doable for everyone. That might not be something everyone's comfortable with for like different reasons. Um, But I think just like, just even having the discussions about like how long your deadline should be. And I'm not even Mm -hmm. claiming that I'm the first one having that conversation. I think Literally, I am parroting. I want to make sure I'm giving credit where credit is due. I am parroting all of like the amazing plus sized, extended sizes, fat, what, whatever word you prefer, um, testers and like makers who like kind of made, I'll be honest, made me aware of it because they're like, hey, we're making bigger size garments. We need more time. And I was like, I'm not going to lie. That link wasn't there before. I kind of feel like an idiot. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right that is indeed what's happening. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, so so, like just to recap where we are right now. So, so (laughs) one pattern testers, they don't get paid, right? No, No, they don't. And they have to buy their own yarn. Most, not always hashtag, not always, but (laughs) often, right? Um, It depends, I guess, who they're testing for. So why do people decide to do it? That's a really good question. I personally think it's because it's, I think some people really like working with certain designers, which I know I do. Mm-hmm. I still do pattern testing on occasion and it's usually for people I really like to work with. Um, I think some people do it for the community because I do think the community can be really cool. Um, yeah, I think like it, it comes from, I think the origins of a lot of pattern testing tends to be like, oh, hey, friend, can you look at this for me? Like, can you make this with me? I want to make sure this is making sense. And so I think it comes from a like history of that. As far as I know, Um, I do think some people do it for, um, for exposure as much as I hate to say it. And I don't always think it's the best path to go down to for exposure. I never think exposure is a good path to go down. Um, (laughs) No, definitely not. It's not. It's really, really not. Um, 
So I think that's also an element to it. I mostly personally, I know I come back to it again and again for community. Um, you do sometimes get like patterns and like discount codes for it. It really depends on the designer. I usually give like one, two patterns and then like a discount code to my Etsy shop, which has like a very random assortment of things. It's like vintage clothes and vintage book pages and like illustrations and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not pretending that is good compensation. Um, <laughs> it is the compensation I can give. Um, and that's like the other thing I think where some of this comes from as well is because patterns themselves are kind of undervalued. I don't know how many times I've seen someone say like, like insert amount of dollars someone charging for the pattern. And I'm just like, yeah, time is worth something. Um, you're only seeing the end result. You don't see the amount of hours it took just to get that. Um, and so pattern, I, I wish I had a better answer if I'm being honest because it does make me a little uneasy because I I have never had any of the testers I work with say like, hey, I feel like you're exploiting me. That being said, I don't think that it doesn't happen. I do think it's very, I do think the responsibility is very much on the designers to make sure they are treating the people they're working with well um, and not exploiting them what that looks like I think can really vary because I do think the vast Mm. majority of pattern testers tends to be um or the people you I don't want to make I shouldn't make that generalization I don't think it's a vast majority I do think a decent amount of the pattern testers who are doing it are people who are either in the yarn industry for some reason or another I know so many uh, pattern testers who literally work in yarn shops um Oh, interesting. Well, so at least they're getting that employee discount on the yarn, I I think they're getting employee discount. I think some of them might also be doing it to make samples for the store. Um, Makes sense. So it's like two birds, one stone kind of thing. Um, I I think some of them do tend to, uh, people who do pattern testing tend to be wealthy. So they have those, like those people that you see have like shelves and shelves of yarn. Um, I think it tends to be some of those people. Um. It really, really depends on, I think, the person. I do think because they are not paid, there is an extra onus on the designers to make sure that they are being treated well. And it is more than just a transactional relationship that you're having with the people you're working with because they are giving you a lot of their time and typically notes. And I was even talking to a friend of mine that's also a pattern tester where she came up on like the Ravelry forums and Ravelry now has its share of issues with like accessibility as far as like disabilities go. Mm -hmm. Um, But it did do a great job fostering a community of people who love like knitting and crochet. And I think a few of the other fiber arts Um, and that's where pattern testing came from. And it went from like, I think like a picture and just a few notes as you're making it to, from what she said, I wish I could remember the exact conversation, but she said, now it's like, you need 10 pictures and you need all this other stuff. And I, I think I was noticing that for myself where I was like, this feels like a lot to ask of people. So mm-hmm. I have what I ask of. So I personally like to ask for a proof of life photo. 
Um, just so I know you made it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like taking time to go do like a photo shoot, that's a lot of time and it's relying on all the, like all this other stuff. Um, so like if you, even then I'm also, I have come like in my time, like designing and hosting pattern tests. I've also stopped like chasing people down for, for um, like information because I like, not everyone has that, I think, mental capacity when they're going through some busy, terrible times to be like, ah, yes, let me go talk to that woman I met on Instagram <laughs> about this crochet project right, that I agreed right. to. I don't think that's fair to them. Um, and I like, I think so that I had to learn the hard way and I really regret some of like how I learned that because I think there's also this mentality that some designers have of clearly these people are signing up for pattern tests to get a free pattern because you usually get the, the pattern you worked on for free at the end of it. And I'm just like, and someone pointed it out and I was like, yeah, that's a really great point where they're like, who puts in that amount of time for something you can it. buy for right. less than $20? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, that's like insulting. Um, so like that's, that's the other thing, uh, it comes down to is like, I don't think anyone's, if there's, if there's anyone in power in this relationship, it, it is me. So I have to recognize that as best as I can and make sure I'm not holding it over people's heads in a way. Yeah. And instead trying to make it more egalitarian where it's not just like, where it's not me kind of lording over the people I'm working with. And I, I even try to like change how I phrase it with where I try to say like, these are the like pattern testers I'm working with versus like my pattern testers. Like they're not people I own. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, I'm sure like, like there, there are good and bad people in everything you can think of. Right. Like, Like every time I post about like, you know, why we should shop small, it's like, Every single time someone comments, yeah, well, I know some small businesses who are run by terrible people. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. There are terrible people everywhere. There are great people everywhere. Not all people in all things, right? Like that kind of thing. Uh, And so I'm sure that there are some situations in which pattern testers do feel exploited or disappointed or unappreciated even, which feeling unappreciated is a pretty bad feeling in itself, you know? It's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. How many testers do you usually use? Um, so I personally like a big honking test. I like it to be like, it depends. Cause I typically, my size chart is, has 10 sizes and it runs from, oh, I need to look at it. I can't remember off the top of my head. I do my best to get people of all sizes. Usually it's the two extremes. So my like teeny tiny size ones. And then um, usually it ends up being, it's so funny, it tends to be people who are, like, they have their kid test, like, uh, their their kid as their model. It's so funny. So it's <laughs> chest size. It's typically chest size 28 inches to chest size 66 inches. Okay. Which I think corresponds to, like, the size of 
I think it's like a 5XL, I think, or 6XL. Yeah, because a 5XL is typically 60 inches. So it's the 6XL, if you okay. were to look at. So I like a minimum, a minimum of like two testers per size. So that automatically puts me at like 20. Um, and then typically, if I can get a little more, especially on um, sizes like 6 through 10, um, I take it because I recognize that that like those notes are a little more val like valuable to me personally because I am someone who is like straight sized. So I need to know if I'm doing something terribly wrong in the math of grading. Um, and the only people who can tend to really tell me that are people who are like a size nine or size 10. Um, so like that's very like important to me. That's a lot harder to get like more than one size 10. I'm usually very happy if I get one size 10. I also like to have a big honking test as I like to call it um, because it allows me to have a lot more leniency. So if I have like five testers be like, I just can't do it for any reason that they give, um, I don't means test that it's not fair to them. Um, it, it, for any of those reasons, I, um, I still know I'm going to get notes no matter what versus, and typically notes even still on that size that they can't do anymore versus if I only had one tester per pattern or per size, I'd be like, oh no, there goes my size seven. Um, and it's just like a lot more stressful. So I think it also allows the testers to breathe more easily, knowing that like, if something goes wrong, they don't feel responsible for getting me notes on this because I've also had testers be like, I'm so sorry. I've never dropped out of a test before. I, I really am sorry. I'm like you're, it's your person. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to delay one of like my releases because of like mental health issues I was going through. I'm not, I'm not going to like be like, how dare you? <laughs> like it's again, I want to make sure I'm giving leniency to people in the same way that I also want leniency myself. Um, and I also think because of having like just more testers in general, I make sure I just throw a few. Um, I have people I like to work with again and again and again for my, for they, they keep coming back. So I'm not going to say no, go away. Um, <laughs> but also um, they bring a lot of good energy to the test and I'll notice that they're very willing to help other people in the test, and it can become a lot become a lot more like um, what would be called like a crochet along, so any kind of craft along, where it's a bunch of people hanging out making. Uh, the vibe is more like a bunch of people hanging out making the same thing together, versus mm -hmm. a bunch of people making something that they have to be responsible for. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I think it can help get that vibe a lot more. That's the other reason I really like to have a whole bunch of testers is they can help each other a little more when I am not always available. I work three-ish jobs. So, and that's like besides all of this stuff. So I, I don't always, I can't always be there the way I want to be. So it helps mm -hmm. give me breathing room as well as much as I'm loath to say it. Um, so it's, it's just helpful all around. I personally find, I also think they're more fun if there's a bunch of them. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I could see that. I think that sounds really more fun. More people at the party. So people <laughs> will be like, you know, you send them the pattern mm -hmm. and they're working on it. 
they, when they're finished, do they just sort of like send you notes like here's what worked or here, here is what didn't work? Um, so I personally like to run my tests. So that's one way to do pattern testing, what you just described. I personally like to do my tests on a Discord um, server and I make um, a bunch, I make a category and a bunch of channels just for that pattern test. Um, and so there's a, there's literally a channel called notes or questions and it's them asking like, Hey, um, I looked at this math and, uh, I don't know how you count. And I'm like, <laughs> you're right. That's a great point. I also don't know how I count. Um, <laughs> and so I'm able to like go in and be like, thanks. And I use a Google doc. So they're also seeing edits in real time. So I can just uh. do a bunch of edits and be like, everything's fixed until the next problem. Um, <laughs> and they come back through and they're like, thanks. And then usually there is another problem because I am a person, I'm a human being. Um, and they help, we all can like work through it together typically. Um, so that's how I like to do it. That's also why when I'm saying like they can help each other, sometimes they have a question about something technical and I'll mm-hmm. be one of my jobs. The access to Discord is terrible, unfortunately. That was news. I started the job in January, so I did not anticipate that. Um, and so I'll get home and I'm like, oh, no. And then I'm like, oh, God, there's so many messages. And I see it. Someone be like, yeah, this is the video that really helped me. I hope it helps you. Um, and I'm like, oh, OK, it's fine. Everything's fine. I can breathe. Um so that's what it is. I like to also do at the end, I do a Google form. Um, that's just like, Hey, what were your measurements? How much yarn did you use? Um, did you like the fit? Any notes that you feel like were not addressed? Um, here's like, can I have your email to send the final pattern to, uh, what is your like Instagram uh, handle. I need to add TikTok now because I have learned that apparently the youth are not on Instagram. They are only on TikTok. So I've begun to get comments going, I don't have an Instagram. I'm like, okay, thank you for making (laughs) me feel old. So it's usually when everyone's done, um, or at least most of them are done because some people will like message me separately and be like, I don't think I'm going to finish. I've had, I've also had pattern testers literally message me like, "Um, I tried it on uh, where I was and I hate it. And I'm like, wow, that really sucks. But yeah, go, go about your life. Yeah. You don't want to finish it then. I get that. No, don't like, I can finish it for for you. I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to make you. I was like, you clearly already want to frog this. I'm not going to make you do more work to frog. It's fine. I am not insulted. Sometimes that happens. God knows I've like gone about a pattern and being like, I can't wait. And then I put it on my body and be like, this is a no. When do you know you're ready to release it into the world? So it's typically when most people are done. It's also when I'm noticing there's not really comments anymore. There's usually a due date for the end of the pattern test. So it's a few days to weeks after that. I try to keep it a few days because people get excited. Um, uh, well, the testers get excited because they have a huge hand in making that like pattern come to be. Um, and I right. don't want to undermine that. Um, so they, so like, it's usually a few days or like week or two after that. It's when I do like my 
final edits. And then I, I personally send it back to my tech editor and see like, like, okay, did I spell any words correctly? Um, on top of there, they will be like, Hey, um, I don't know what you did, but you deleted this entire section. I'm like, Oh, wow. Okay. Um, don't know how, cause there'll be something when I'm editing kind of thing. Um, or things to keep with what's called my style guide, which is like how everything's, yeah, I guess, I guess that's not really a weird word because there's like MLA and APA style guides, um, but like how I like yeah, to format totally. everything um, where they will be like, this is not in the correct format. I'm like, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> and so that's, and then usually that is finally when I like release it to the world and sell it for money um, after usually months of work because you have to figure it's on top of I'm slow at designing to start with so it's I, I do the designing I send it to a tech editor I have it in pattern testing for usually at minimum a month um, usually closer to two to three um, so that happens then the final edits it's being edited while while it's in pattern testing but sometimes there's like final little itty bitty edits and then then it's finally at sell date so it usually takes God, I think my process is six months. Oh, that's horrifying. Wow. Let's take a moment to thank some of the incredible small businesses who keep Clothes Horse going via their generous Patreon support. Selena Sanders, a social impact brand that specializes in upcycle clothing using only reclaimed vintage or thrifted materials from tea towels, linens, blankets, and quilts. Sustainably crafted in Los Angeles, each piece is designed to last in one's closet for generations to come. Maximum style, minimal carbon footprint. Shift clothing out of beautiful Astoria, Oregon, with a focus on natural fibers, simple hardworking designs, and putting fat people first. Discover more at shiftwheeler.com. Late to the party, creating one-of-a-kind statement clothing from vintage, salvaged, and thrifted textiles. They hope to tap into the dreamy memories we all hold. Floral curtains, a childhood dress, the wallpaper in your best friend's rec room all while creating modern, sustainable garments that you'll love wearing and have for years to come. Late to the Party is passionate about celebrating and preserving textiles, the memories they hold, and the stories they have yet to tell. Check them out on Instagram at Late to the Party People. Vino Vintage, based just outside of LA. We love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at vino.vintage so you don't miss our next event. Gabriella Antonis is a visual artist and an ethical trade fashion designer. But Gabriella is also a radical feminist micro-business. She's the one-woman band trying to help you understand why slow fashion is what the earth needs. The one-woman band to help you build your own brand. She can take your fashion line from just a concept and do your sketches, pattern making, grading, sourcing, cutting, and sewing. The second option is for those who aren't trying to start a business and who just want ethical garments. Gabriella Antonis will create custom made-to-measure garments just for you. Her goal is to help one person of any size at a time, including beyond size 40. To inquire about this serendipitous intersectional offering of either concept, DM her on Instagram to book a consultation. Please follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Gabriella Antonis. And that's Gabriella with one L. Gotta get that spelling right. 
Dylan Page is an online clothing and lifestyle brand based out of St. Louis, Missouri. Our products are chosen with intention for the conscious community. Everything we carry is animal-friendly, ethically made, sustainably sourced, and cruelty-free. Dylan Page is for those who never stop questioning where something comes from. We know that personal experience dictates what's sustainable for you, and we are here to help guide and support you to make choices that fit your needs. Check us out at dylanpage.com and find us on Instagram at dylanpagelifeandstyle. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Find us on Instagram at Salt Hats. Karen Kinney Studio. Located in Western Massachusetts, Karen specializes in handcrafted earrings from found, upcycled, and repurposed fabrics, as well as other eco-friendly curios, all with a hint of nostalgia, a dollop of whimsy, a dash of color, and 100% fun. Karen is an artist slash designer who believes the materials we use matter. See more on Instagram at Karen Kinney Studio or online at www.cKinney.com. Gentle Vibes Vintage. We are purveyors of polyester and psychedelic relics. We encourage experimentation and play not only in your wardrobe, but in your home too. We have thousands of killer vintage pieces ready for their next adventure. See them all on Instagram at Gentle Vibes Vintage. Thumbprint is Detroit's only fair trade marketplace located in the historic Eastern Market. Our small business specializes in products handmade by empowered women in South Africa, making a living wage creating things they love like hand-painted candles and ceramics. We also carry a curated assortment of sustainable and natural locally made goods. Thumbprint is a great gift destination for both the special people in your life and for yourself. Browse our online store at thumbprintdetroit.com and find us on Instagram at thumbprintdetroit. How much do you usually charge for a pattern? <sighs> Heavy sigh. Um, <laughs> I So I think my lowest cost pattern right now is like four dollars and it's because it's something that's pretty like it's a pumpkin um I give the <laughs> profits to a, like a local mutual aid group um but so that's I think currently my lowest cost but other than that it's at minimum five dollars and I have unfortunately begun to have to think about no my lowest is three dollars sorry I'm like fact checking myself in real time my lowest is about $3 and it's one of the first things I ever designed, which is like a, a beanie. You'll see most designers start mm. with beanies because they're very like safe. Um, <laughs> and like the turnaround times are much quicker. Um, so you have like $3, which is a bit low if I'm being honest. Um, and then my highest costing pattern is I think nine fifty. I've begun to think about raising the prices due to Etsy. Uh, Etsy's raised its uh, transactions. Tra they've raised some kind of fee that they didn't need to. And they even said, they're like, it's to bring uh, you classes. I'm like, I didn't ask for those. Um, really? That's what they uh, That makes me so angry. They're like, it's for you. I'm like, no, this is for you. Um, 
this yeah, is for you. Totally for them. Um, yeah. Uh. And I do have, because honestly, even if I were to raise prices, even without raising prices, I think for some people, um, 950 is a little bit more money for them. And I mm-hmm. completely recognize that. So there's always going to be um, like more financially accessible pricing on my pay hip. And it's just, you use a variety of coupon codes to like get it closer to the price that you feel comfortable paying. I don't think I have a whole lot of people who take advantage of that. If they do, that makes them the asshole, not me. Um, Because (laughs) I can tell you right now that I like, I mean, it sucks if someone's using those kinds of codes on my pay hip to like get a like 50% off pattern and they don't actually need to. It's them, you know, just like looking for a good deal. I mean, that's like a total behavior, right? Like, I mean, so many people do that all the time. I mean, I see like makers on Instagram being harassed over this kind of stuff. And then you click on the person who's doing the harassing's profile and like they're tagging like free people in all their outfits. And you're like, huh, seems like you've got money to spend. I didn't know that. But like, I, I, because I also don't, fact check some of this stuff because uh, I've also only seen their PayPal come through and I just go uh-huh. oh I guess someone bought a pattern I hope I get to see them make it um, <laughs> and I've also had people who like DM'd me who were like thank you so much for having like price like that financial accessibility I'm broke <laughs> fair right. um, sounds good very fair um, yeah so I know some people might take advantage of it. And I know I've, I've literally had designers tell me like, I would never have that for all these reasons. And it's, it's one of those things. It's like, whatever your comfort level is, um, because Mm -hmm. this is not currently my main job. It has definitely helped me pay rent in the past. I do want to be clear. Like I do need some profit from it because it has helped me pay rent. Um, but it, I guess I'm in a better position to let that possibility come true of people being like, I just like a good deal um, <laughs> versus, yeah, 950 is a lot of money for me uh, kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so patterns, even still, though, I think cro- most crochet patterns more specifically, I have found be priced I would say on average lower than like some knitting patterns, but they definitely don't cost as much Mm -hmm. as sewing patterns. And it's an entire thing. Um, It's very weird. I think a lot of people don't really want to pay for patterns, which is really strange because I, while I've never gotten comments or harassed about like the pricing of my patterns, I've seen people who pay, who price lower than me be harassed. And I'm just like, they're pricing too low. I'm pricing too low. Uh, <laughs> We're all pricing too I low. I hate that. I hate that. And it's like, I mean, hopefully anybody who's listening to this conversation will be like, wow, I literally had no idea that so much time and work and thought and people, people yes. hours went into creating a pattern. I mean, I think the average person just thinks that like they ma- – someone's like, I was messing around. I crocheted this thing. Here's how I did at the end, which even still – even if that's all it was, would still have value. Yeah. But it's so much It's so much more than that. You know, I mean, don't even get me started on sewing patterns. Oh that's like – yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I know I know how to write a crochet pattern, but I – as someone who's like also like a very beginner sewist – 
I look at sewing patterns and I'm like, I don't know how you did this. Thank you. But I don't know how you did this. I think we have this weird mindset that it's totally is it's totally based in consumerism, yeah. right? Where like we have no problem paying money for a thing, like an actual object, but something that is like an idea yeah. or information we don't want to pay for because it's not a thing. And I think that patterns are in the same boat. I would agree where it's with like that, yeah. Right. It's like the it's an important ingredient to the whole thing. Yeah. And yeah, definitely people will complain about buying yarn because it's like, yeah, yarn is – every time I'm like, I'm going to knit this thing and then I go and I spend $60 on yeah. yarn. I'm like, how did that yep. happen? You know, but – Because like, but, oh, I so only need yarn five skeins. <laughs> only and you're like $130 later, right? <laughs> and so like we already – we expect that yarn is going to be expensive, I think, and we know it, but at least we walk out with this bag of something. Yep. But – the pattern is an important element of that, and it it shouldn't be free. But I I feel it's like the same way. Like sometimes I'll share like a news article on Instagram or something, and someone will be like, "Oh, it's got like a you know you have to pay pay to see it." And I'll say like, "Yeah, that's how journalists make a living." And it's like, Ugh, "Do you have any ways to get around it?" And I'm like, "You know what? Listen, I used to be the same where I was like, I am not." paying for any news. If I don't get it for free, I don't want it. And then one day I was like, wait, like people work really hard on yep. this. And so I do. Like I have a subscription to the New York Times. I have a subscription to the Washington Post. I have a few other subscriptions, Business Insider, all these other ones. If you're a university student right now, um, a lot of universities give you access to subscriptions for free. So if you're a broke college student, there's your hack right there. See if your university has a subscription, use it. Very smart. Very smart. And for the rest of you, pay for it because you know what? That's how people have jobs. Yes, and we need journalistic integrity. <laughs> and and it has value, right? And, like, I think that that's another thing. We're totally going off on a tangent. But, like, I think that's another thing yeah. that people don't don't see. That as, as, like, humans in general stopped paying for subscriptions to actual physical newspapers. Like, when I was growing up, we always got the newspaper. Yep. It came every day and it cost money. And I even had a paper route in junior high school and I'd go <laughs> collect my $4 a week from people, you know. Back then, newspapers actually made money off of selling their work, yep. right? But now no one wants to pay for anything. Yep. And certainly no one no, – well, not no one, but many people do not get a subscription to an actual physical newspaper, myself included, because it seems like such a burden for recycling and yep. everything. So now it's on the internet and people are like, well, why isn't it free? And it's, and then, you know, like, why am I getting all these ads? It makes me so mad. And it's like, listen, dude, you can have it. You can't have it no. both ways. If it's going to be free to you, it's going to be filled with ads. And you know what? That is going to have an influence on the reporting. Yep. Period. Yep. So if you want good journalism, then you need to pay for it because it's like, it's, it's work. It is. You know, and it, it really is. Right. It's the same thing with patterns. Like, yeah. I'm sure you could get a free pattern from like one of the brands that of yarn you can buy at Joanne, but like how great is it going to yeah, be? Yeah, that really depends because you have, I've seen like some really good, but like regardless, um, that's also when people are like, why do these patterns cost so much? I'm like, well, because I am, I am a lot more independent. I don't work with brands. So that means I, I'm not getting paid by those same brands or I'm rarely getting paid by those same brands. Um, because I am a much smaller time designer overall. But I also think it comes from some of that idea of like, if I'm making myself, it should be cheaper. Um, and that's why like, and it kind of is one of those things that has begun to grind my gears because I, 
I feel like it's because you're saying they'd rather buy a thing. And I was like, yes. And I, part of my brain is like, yeah, that's because they don't, they also don't understand how much that thing should really cost either. Exactly. Exactly. You know, like, yeah. like, okay, you go buy some nice yarn and you like, it's five skeins and you're like a hundred dollars in and you're like a hundred dollars to make a sweater. Like I could go buy four sweaters for that. And it's yeah, like, okay, time out. They're, poor, yeah. they're not as well made because those people are under horrendous conditions. Yeah, and they're shitty yarns. Yeah. You know, like they're not going to be custom to you. Uh, The people who pay, like, I mean, don't even get me started on crochet. Like, that's been going around all the uh, Target crochet. Everybody's been sending me the videos of that. Um, Great call out again that, like, there is not a machine that can crochet. Sometimes a knitting machine can be, like, rejiggered to make fake crochet. But they can't for granny squares. Yeah, and that's not – the stuff is granny squares. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's granny yeah. squares. And there is, like – I think so, I found it somewhere. I don't remember the exact place. I think it was, like, Craft Snark on Reddit. But they're, like – someone had access to a picture of – uh they're trying to figure out a way to make knitting machines make granny squares because it, I think it's just cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, and that thing – Pardon my language was one of the fugliest things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> okay, I think I've seen the same photo, and it's I was so- like, "This is like not acceptable." <laughs> not that like paying no people would- pennies to crochet all day is either, but like it was just like anyone who likes crochet and the aesthetic of it does not want that. No, absolutely you know? not. Um, and oh, God. But it's also, it's things like I, one of my jobs currently is substitute teaching. Um, super glamorous, I know. Uh, and <laughs> you'll see me crocheting because I am the sub that's crocheting. Uh, like one of many, I know. Um, <laughs> and the kids will ask me, they're like, can you make me a sweater? And I go, you can't afford it. Because um, I'm honest with them. And they don't always love that. But <laughs> I'm like, you can't afford it. And he goes like, I have a job. I'm like, okay. It was how much would it cost? I'm like, uh, like five hundred dollars. And they're like, for a sweater. I'm like, yes, because you can't re- re- uh, reproduce crochet. I was telling the same story at one of my other jobs. Um, and one of the older women, she's retired. Uh, she does the like environmental education for the parks. Um, in her like as like a fun retirement job. Um which happy for her. Uh, and she was, you're being sarcastic, right? And I said, no, that's how much it would cost. And one of my coworkers actually, who I think is also a maker, she was like, yeah, just the yarn alone. Um, she was like, that's not even counting the time. And I mentioned, I was like, yeah, and I pay myself pretty well if I'm being paid to do right, right. a commission. I also don't take commissions to be clear to anyone out there who's listening go like she can crochet me something no she will not um <laughs> I can point you in the direction of people who will but I will not um <laughs> because it it's expensive it's time consuming and I'm also someone who has very bad tendonitis so I should not be doing commissions yeah. I'm only going to be making things for things that I enjoy I design because it's something I enjoy I also appreciate when it helps pay the rent mm-hmm. I really love that um, helps me not do as many jobs. Um, but <laughs> otherwise it is because I enjoy it. And I think that's also what makes me so incredibly sad about, um, any of like the target crochet, anytime I'm seeing in like urban outfitters, 
Uh, like crochet items, especially because Urban Outfitters does not target, same as Target. They are not paying their garment workers well. And I know they're not paying their like workers in the States well either. Oh, and no, so- they're 100% not. <laughs> I mean, uh, interestingly enough, like, you know, I want to say a lot of the sweaters that are at Target are about $30. Yeah. I was about a week before that video came out and everybody was sending it to me. There was like a TikTok about it. I was at Target with Dustin. We walked by and I was like, whoa, 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 and like backed up. And I was like, what the fuck? And Dustin was like, what? Oh, yeah, that sweater's really cute. And I'm like, no, it's not. No. No, it's not. And I I was like, here's the problem. And I want to say it was $29.99. Yeah. Um, and I was explaining it to him. And the thing is, like, that same sweater – or something, a version of it would probably sell at Urban Outfitters for like fifty-eight or sixty-eight dollars. Same factory. It's totally the same factory. It's like, you know, like one of those things that you learn as you're in the industry is that for certain specialized things, whether that's denim or you know, like even just t-shirts uh, and crochet, there aren't that many factories that actually do it, right? No. Uh, there's like there are plenty of factories out there that are just like making clothes, right? Like generic cut and sew clothes, fine. Yeah. But for specialized like embellishment or technique, crochet being one of them, yeah. there's not that many. And so ultimately Target and Urban Outfitters are both paying shit wages to their yep. garment workers, like pennies, right? Urban Outfitters is just making more profit off of it. So you almost, not that I'm defending Target, you got to be like, well, at least Target's keeping it real. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's I. I just I hate it so much. And like, I I know I've definitely like have have had my fair share of commentary. But I think what's I think what's sadder to me at least is because I remember when Target over the summer they had a bikini that was crocheted, and I like definitely like made my fair share of commentary around it. And then they have this shirt, and I had like a, more people around me who was who were also commenting commentating on it and there's a part of my brain that just went like I'm so tired because I'm already tired I'm so tired and I'm really glad other people are like commenting on it because like I don't have the energy to keep up with this and I kind of like I took solace in the fact that sometimes just it's a relay race someone has has someone else has energy for this stretch I might have energy again for the next stretch because it's just going to keep popping up Mm -hmm. and it's important just to like remind people even like if you're someone who's listening, like, um, and you're like, oh, I didn't know it couldn't be machine made. When you're at Target with your friends and you're like goofing around, being like, yeah, it's really messed up that it's here, and just like yeah. vocally say that to your friends so that they, even though they might have had like, oh, cute reaction for a moment, they all go, oh, and they maybe want it less. Um, you can definitely buy some crochet stuff on like Etsy. I mm-hmm. fully think there's so many people who've learned crochet literally to sell it right now. Um, and they are not paying themselves well. But I also think there is a big difference between someone not paying themselves as a hobby and exploiting themselves versus mm-hmm. Target exploiting God knows how many people totally. in order to make an exorbitant profit off them because they are not they are they exploiting those garment workers and they're exploiting the workers who help put those garments on the floor. Oh yeah, totally. The people who work in the stores are yep. not doing any are much better. You know, no. maybe slightly better because there are more labor laws here. But yeah, I think you know t- 
Target's one of those companies that's really hard for me because in some ways they really know the buttons to push that like appeal to me. Like they have a lot of zero waste products. You know, their advertising is always very diverse and, you know, like hashtag the future liberals want that kind of thing. But yeah. But then I like get into my head and I'm like, no, it's like still like a shitty retailer that doesn't give most of its workers full time so that they doesn't have to give them benefits. It underpays people. It keeps people in poverty. It's not that much different than Walmart, yet we give it so much more credibility. And the fact that those – I just Googled while we were talking. Those crocheted items are still on the Target website. Yep. Like they are just like whatever. I think there was even like someone had even questioned like – um, can't this only be done by hand? And like a Target employee re- like replied, honestly, like, yep, it can only be done by hand. And it's so weird. I feel like <laughs> there's some people who are like, oh, cool. And there's going to be people like you and me and plenty of other people who are learning as a result of like the people doing the hard work on TikTok. Um, yeah, on yeah, it uh, is. It is. Yeah. And I, you know, we just need to keep like, I was looking at the reviews on you know, and there were plenty of people who jumped in and said, hey, this is really messed up. Like, people yeah. do this by hand. We're paid pennies. But for every review like that, there were two that were like, this is so cute. I wear it with jeans, you know? And you're like, oh, like, how many of us? I mean, I'm definitely, like, as, like, the past week, I've been having this, like, emotional meltdown where I'm like, I just don't know how much more I can do this because it's so hard you know, but then yeah. I see stuff like that and I'm like, no, I need to keep like pushing forward. And all of us do because we think everybody knows these things because they we've don't. been talking about them with each other, but most people don't. Exactly. No. Exactly. And so like we, we need to uh, influence in our sphere of influence as much as we can. Yes. And I think because I'm taking a communications class right now, it's environmental science communications. And actually, that's something we talked about is um, not always is it like one person you're getting your communication from, your source of influence from. It's like we're all getting it from each other. Mm -hmm. So I think because you've definitely said it your fair share. And I've appreciated that where it's like we are all influencers influencers in our own right. Um, in, our, in our own way into our own communities our own like friends and family and I think that sometimes what's like worth remembering is sometimes it's just like pushing you know your mom to stop buying at fancy fast fashion um, yeah yeah and to consider like the material she's buying with that's something I've definitely had com- like conversations <laughs> with my own mom about and she's been pretty receptive uh, and it's she's so funny she always goes you remind me of your grandmother because my abuela used to like she was a seamstress so when she would go into stores she'd like this is made like trash um (laughs) I love that I I love it too I love that energy so much I love that viejita energy as I like to like think of it um but and I'm not I know I'm not alone in thinking of it like that but um it's things like that of just like pushing your friends and family I mean even if it's like if you are like a fiber artist pushing the people around you to not pirate patterns, please. Um, I I think even this call is like, oh yeah, it takes me six months, <laughs> which was horrifying yeah. to me. And I know, but to to be frank, I I'm also doing this part time, and I know, I definitely know like some designers where I think from start to finish it's a lot quicker. But even then, I think it's still like three months for them. I don't think it's like this super quick turnaround time for any of us because no matter what, someone has to make the garment 
And crochet can be incredibly intensive on your limbs. No doubt. All the, all of the all of the fiber arts are. And I think yeah. we take that for granted too, which oh, yeah. is another thing to go think like what if you spent all day crocheting granny squares for Target? I worry about the health of their wrists, honestly. Like very yeah. sincerely. Like this isn't me being like, I wear no, I since I very, 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 very sincerely worry about the health of their wrists. Because I think of how my wrist feels after like when I'm like cranking out something and like, again, I'm, I'm consenting to being in that position. They are not consenting to be in that position or there is very little consent involved because it's kind of a false choice for them, for the, for these workers. Um, And it, it just bums me out to say the least. It's something that makes me sick, honestly. Um, because I don't think anyone should be in that position. And I really wish I'd sometimes see, and I do think we're seeing, I do want to give that credit, but more solidarity between crafters. Like these are crafters Mm -hmm. just like we are. And I think sometimes we almost can kind of divorce ourselves from it because at least in this country, we can kind of, you know, glance over it, wash over it, but they're still crafters too. If you're any, if you're working any kind of international space, which if you're doing any of your crafting on social media, you're in an international space at that point. Um, fun fact, crafters aren't just like, they don't just look, If assuming you are like a white lady, they don't just look like you. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. come in a lot of other, like they come from a lot of other places and they come in a lot of other skin tones. So making it so you only seem to think that it's like craftsmanship, if you're, it's a white lady doing that, that is immediately, that's a red flag. You need to be considering these other people who are more likely brown um, and more likely uh, living in. Oh, oh in. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when we we recorded an episode recently where we dissected that Mary Fawns video about like quilt clothes must die. Mm-hmm. And in her video, she was basically like, listen, this is a like a really quick and dirty summary of it, but like we should be protecting quilts, which unfortunately, you know, her audience and and herself are these like privileged white women. We should be protecting quilts. And instead, if you want to buy quilt, uh, quilt inspired clothing, go buy stuff from Target or other fast fashion retailers. No. I know. Sorry. And I was like, wow. Do like not, that. Do not under any circumstance. I know. I know. I was like this. I, I, I said this multiple times when we were recording, but I was like, did Mary Fawns share this video with a couple people? Perhaps do the pattern testing version of video testing with some Dude, friends. And be yeah. like, hey, is there anything in here that like catches your eye? Maybe makes you think I should like revisit? Because I I would hope that at least one person would have said, hey, uh, I think you like maybe are you know biting off more than you could chew there or going going a wrong direction because that is just like. So absurd to me, but I mean, you know, it's it it is a fact that often people, whether they realize it or not, are valuing stuff that their peers make over workers yep. of color overseas. And I, yep. every time I talk about that on Instagram, someone messages me and like, "Why don't you ever talk about white people?" And I'm like, "Oh, okay, you're blocked." Next, <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's even, and I I love to see it because I think her handle is Gigi Made It on Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. I I wish I could remember her name. I'm just gonna look it up right now before I make a jerk of myself. Gay uh, Gay Gillespie. 
is her name. That's where it's kept. Gay Gillespie. Because Gay Gillespie has like these great shirts say like I knit too. Um, and it's literally because so many like people like when like black knitters show up to um to like yarn stores have been like I'm sorry what are you doing here like I, I also I also use yarn a lot thanks um, yeah yeah I don't think she has them anymore but I no know she what, has you should also be while. making sure you're like welcoming graphers of color into your space um and that still goes for valuing like with that you also need to value like crafters of color in other places that are being exploited. You need to still have solidarity with right. them the same as you have solidarity with crafters here where you are. You should always be building connections and making sure you're making something more equitable in some way, shape or form. So maybe it's making sure you're not being an asshole to the black woman in your yarn shop. Maybe it's making sure you're like, your white lady friend knows like, no, you should not buy that from Target. Yeah. And like, the here's the thing. I think that what people get confused about, right, is like we do know that a lot of fast fashion is lower quality, right? That's the yeah. nature of the model. But we somehow get it all tangled up in our brains. We're there for the work that the people did to make it is less valuable. And it's like, no, no, no. Their work is just as valuable. Them sewing a dress is just as valuable as you sewing a dress. Yep. The difference is that they were given shitty materials to work with in the first they're, place, right? They were given shitty materials. They were giving shitty. They were given very shitty timelines. They're given sh- shitty working conditions, and like it's also. Do you think it's their decision to? I, was, I keep thinking about like costumes because I listened to your episode about like Halloween, and then I went to like a costume party with literally just my family. Uh, And so like we all looked at our costumes and I remember staring at their costumes going, oh, wow, they really just, wow, there's just surge raw edges. Oh, (laughs) Oh. right. Like, let's not like, no, listen, we've all had jobs that sucked where we like leave at the end of the day and be like, wow, I feel like I, you know, I so little pride in what I did today. Right. Like, it's not like the people who made those are like, wow, I really love how I make shitty Halloween costumes all day, every day. But there's still skill in it, right? And, like, looking at the crocheted cardigans at Target, I mean, hey, they look great. They're consistent, right? Which is hard. Right. It's really, really hard. What maybe – what is probably lacking in those cardigans is they're maybe not using the best yarns. According to some of the reviews, they shrink if you wash them. But, like – that labor of crocheting those is no less valuable or worthy than the labor you might put into making a sweater for yourself. And like yep. that's that's the thing that we have to get over. And so like saying like Mary Fonz was like, it's better to buy quilt clothes made by exploited people that are probably low quality and not going to last versus taking a quilt that no one wants and turning it into clothes. Like that is just – Honestly, the best thing you can do if you go buy that $30 sweater at Target is please take care of it and wear it for a really long time because someone literally crocheted that and it, their wrists oh. hurt the whole time. And they probably didn't have like a little office medicine cabinet where they could all take ibuprofen all day, you know. Yeah. 
If you're enjoying this episode, then this is a great time to remind you that my work here at Close Horse is made possible by the support of listeners like you, just like NPR, and these great small businesses. Please go give them your support. Blank Cass or Blanket Coats by Cass, is focused on restoring, renewing, and reviving the history held within vintage and heirloom textiles. By embodying the love, craft, and energy that is original to each vintage textile as I transfer it into a new garment, I hope we can reteach ourselves to care for and mend what we have and make it last. Blank Cass lives on Instagram at blank underscore Cass, and a website will be launched soon at blankcass.com. Located in Whistler, Canada, Velvet Underground is a velvet jungle full of vintage and secondhand clothing, plants, a vegan cafe, and lots of rad products from other small sustainable businesses. Our mission is to create a brand and community dedicated to promoting self-expression, as well as educating and inspiring a more sustainable and conscious lifestyle, both for the people and the planet. Find us on Instagram at shop underscore velvet underground or online at www.shopvelvetunderground.com. St. Evans is a New York City-based vintage shop that is dedicated to bringing you those special pieces you'll reach for again and again. More than just a store, St. Evans is dedicated to sharing the stories and history behind the garments. 10% of all sales are donated to a different charitable organization each month. For the month of April, St. Evans is supporting United Farm Workers Foundation, mobilizing farm workers and their organizations across the country to advocate for more equitable policies. New Vintage is released every Thursday at wearstevens.com with previews of new pieces and more brought to you on Instagram at where underscore st dot evens. That's where St. Evans. Country Feedback is a mom-and-pop record shop in Tarboro, North Carolina. They specialize in used rock, country, and soul, and offer affordable vintage clothing and housewares. Do you have used records you want to sell? Country Feedback wants to buy them. Find us on Instagram at Country Feedback Vintage and Vinyl, or head down east and visit our brick and mortar. All are welcome at this inclusive and family-friendly record shop in the country. Republica Unicornia Yarns, handmade yarn and notions for the color obsessed, made with love and some swearing in fabulous Atlanta, Georgia by head yarn wench Kathleen. Get ready for rainbows with a side of giving a damn. Republica Unicornia is all about making your own magic using small batch, responsibly sourced, hand-dyed yarns, and thoughtfully made notions. Slow fashion all the way down and discover the joy of creating your very own beautiful hand-knit, crocheted, or woven pieces. Find us on Instagram at republica underscore unicornia underscore yarns and at www.republicaunicornia.com. Picnicware, a slow fashion brand ethically made by hand from vintage and dead stock materials, most notably vintage towels. Founder Danny has worked in the industry as a fashion designer for over 10 years, but started Picnicware in response to her dissatisfaction with the industry's shortcomings. Picnicware recently moved to rural North Carolina, where all their sewing and accessories are now designed and cut, but the majority of their sewing is done by skilled garment workers in New York City. Their customers take comfort in knowing that all their sewists are 
paid well above New York City minimum wage. Picnic Wear offers minimal waste and maximum authenticity. Future vintage over future garbage. Cute Little Ruin is an online shop dedicated to providing quality vintage and secondhand clothing, vinyl, and home items in a wide range of styles and price points. If it's ethical and legal, we try to find a home for it. Vintage style with progressive values. Find us on Instagram at Cute Little Ruin. The Pewter Thimble is a curated secondhand shop based out of Rome, Italy. Owner Desiree Marie Townley has a background in costuming and makeup for dance and opera and focuses on dressing for the character you want to be in the world. Curated collections are dropped in a story sale and always have a specialized theme like the color palette of Starry Night, the film classic Casablanca, and the children's novel The Secret Garden. Desiree works with local artisans, and pieces are rescued from markets and rehabilitated and resold with worldwide shipping. The Pewter Thimble is a collection of pieces that will have eternal style from the eternal city. Discover more on Instagram at The Pewter Thimble. One thing you and I talked about when we were preparing for this episode was the classist undertone in the way the crafting community views crochet. And I've been thinking about it nonstop since then because, like, I also would see people in these conversations about these Target sweaters being like, well, whatever, you can crochet something really fast. It's, like, no big deal. Or, like, like I asked someone, you know, we were talking about Mary Fonz and the quilt clothes thing, and I was like, you know, what's interesting to me is, like, I also know – that upcyclers use, you know, like crocheted yeah. blankets and turn those into clothing, which I always think look really cool. And I'm they're really so stoked. Cool. They're so cool. And I see so many of those blankets at the thrift store all the time. Like I have reached critical mass in my house of how many I can buy. And they're all like so unique and beautiful. And I think about someone working really hard on it. And I never, I've, I've seen people gripe about quilts for quite a while, actually, but I've never heard one person say, Oh, and then people are turning crocheted blankets into vests and pillows. Like no one says that. I hope no one says that. I will personally come and have a very strong. Well, there's word so many of them. them. Like, please, guys, please they're use so, them. Yeah. Um, and they're cool. They're I love cool. seeing like colors someone that people put, chose. Someone put a lot of like care into it, or I know. they were really stressed. Like anytime I make a blanket, literally anytime I make a blanket, I am stressed. Um usually nine times out of 10 it's stress um but like I think I think there's something to be said about sometimes loving the things you have isn't keeping them the way they are it's figuring out how to make them into something you'll love again yeah yeah and I think that's sometimes a little lost to some I think so I think so yeah it sucks but yeah also no anyone who wants to like make any like, in case you needed someone who crochets, blessing, this is it. Make it. I do <laughs> not care. I Show me pictures, if anything. I want to see what you make. I love seeing people's stuff. It's why I'm on Instagram. Um, I Yes, yeah, seriously. I want someone to do some, like, tutorials on upcycling Afghans into clothing because I – like, for example, last week we were in Las Vegas and the Grand Canyon and we were like, we're going to go thrifting because the thrifting in Austin is terrible and we miss it. It's like our hobby. And we went to so many thrift stores where like they were some of the best crocheted blankets I've ever seen. Of course, I think that every time I see them. But like I was like, whoa, these are like the best ones yet. And I was like, oh, I can't buy these. Like I I'm, I, I 
don't have space for them in my suitcase and it was so sad to leave them behind. And I was like, you know, on top of that, Amanda, like you already have so many crocheted blankets in your house right now. Like yeah. you can't, you don't even live in a cold place anymore, you know? So I had to leave them behind, but I, you know, I, there was one that was like roses and I was like, man, that'd be so cool to turn into like a tank top, but like, I don't even know where to begin. Anyway, let's talk about the classist undertone and the way people view crochet because I think that's really fascinating. Like first off, why do you think that is? Um so based off some of like the research I've done, um, and it comes from like different sources depending on like who who you talk to basically or like what you're reading. Um there is supposedly a link to um like crocheted lace from Ireland being how a lot of poor women made money for their families uh, during the potato famine, um, which is like super intense and kind of metal. Imagine being in a famine and being like, I'm going to feed my family with this very niche item. Um, it's super awesome. I personally think it's great, uh, but it supposedly comes from a little bit of that. A lot of times it can also be um, coded for like, low income mm-hmm. and or people of color. Absolutely. I think some of the coding from low income does come from some of those sources. It also depends on the country you're in as well. So in the United States and I think UK, there is that like class undertone. I cannot speak to other places that are have not had that influence before. So I've seen where like it gets discussed and some from Argentina was like, wait, what? Um, I'm like, I- I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. Um <laughs> Like, this is just something weird that happens here. Um, and I do think a lot of it just is some of that coding. I I wish I had better answers in some of those ways, but it a lot of it just is linked to, as far as I know, is linked to, like, the fact that it was coded as something low-income women did in order to make money for their families, mm-hmm. which also kind of sucks because I have a feeling they were not paid fairly based off the hours they were putting in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's just always going to be in the history of the craft at this point baked in. Um, and it also has to like, there's also weird undertones sometimes. And I've even had it myself where I like, I go to a yarn store. I'm like, I'm here to buy some yarn. And they're like, Oh, what are you knitting? I'm like, well, I don't knit. I crochet. And they're like, Oh, and I'm like, what, what did I say? Because I just thought I was here for a good time. Um, (laughs) Which is also weird because supposedly crochet takes more yarn than knitting does. So if anything, I should be the prime business for them. Um, If I like saved up my money to like go to a fancy place to buy yarn, don't you want me buying more of your yarn? Um, And I've also like, because I've literally talked to other people about it where it's like yeah I don't where they're like I don't always like to go into the yarn stores because like I've definitely gotten like dirty looks before when I say crochet stuff and what experience really got me was when I went to a very fancy yarn store near me um local to my area um and I literally had one of the people tell me to my face one of the like yarn store workers one of the like staff for that store say like, I'm just not really into crochet because I just don't feel like anyone's doing anything innovative. Wow. What is, 
compare and contrast with knitting, like how much innovation is there comparatively, you know, like that, that is such a gross statement. I will say I've been knitting my whole adult life. I taught myself, uh, I have never felt comfortable in any yarn store, period. Which sucks because, like, I also think, like, yarn stores can be a place to help host community. Mm-hmm. And that's also why I think when you are in online spaces, you have an extra responsibility to make sure they're equitable because you can get people from, like, all walks of life. But what really gets me about, like, this yarn store is literally, I remember that happened. And I was like, oh, and I was pretty new to the craft. So I was like, I don't know. He works in a yarn store. He must be right. And I started to get like into it more. And the more I got into it, the more I was like, fuck that guy. Um, because I was like, what the, f- like, what is he talking about? It's like, no one's doing anything innovative in it. That's just, I'm sorry, but that is the douchiest thing I've ever heard someone say. And I've heard a lot of douchey things. And like, it's still so weird to me. Cause I remember seeing a few l- years later, they had someone of significant note um, mm-hmm. come to their store and they made a big hoopla about it does this woman knit no she crochets um did they make enamel pins signifying her uh her visit oh yes they did they literally made enamel pins about it the money did go the, the money from uh, selling the enamel pins did go to a local charity. I will give them that. However, in the attention economy that we are currently living in, that is pretty it's pretty darn significant to like still like that's a way of profiting still is to like be like, oh, and see, we made these pins. Um, but like, don't worry, it's going to charity um, and still making sure people kind of knew she was there in some way I I think I was almost angry because I was like you as as far as I know you still have that staff who said those like really weird things to me and made my experience at your store kind of bad on staff and so you're potentially getting a bunch of people who like that craft into your store to have these crappy experiences because for what for like, I don't know if you ever really talked to your staff about that, about their behaviors. And granted, maybe I should have said something. I'm sorry. At the age of like 22, I didn't know just to be like, can I speak to your manager? Because that's not my go-to reaction to things. No. I think it makes me a better person, but maybe that's just me. Um, <laughs> uh, like, you need to be like, this is when I kept saying, like, you need to make sure you're having like equity and inclusion in your spaces. But you also need to look like make sure you're examining what that looks like in some way. So if you know something is typically coded as low income or um, and or like something mostly people of color do, are you actually making sure that that space is welcoming to people of color or mm-hmm. are you luring them in using this other woman's likeness in order for them to have a bad experience? Because right. that's not equitable and that is not inclusive. No, no. And like, I'm saying this as someone who comes across as a white lady and I'm saying you're not being, like, come on. I know if I'm saying that, I definitely know you're probably not being good to like other people. People without some of my experiences and without some of my privileges. Right, right. Uh, so I think like that definitely is 
it's just a very weird thing in the, the yarn crafts that I have noticed, I have experienced, and I know that other people have experienced to the point where I think one of like the big fiber festivals was going on. And I was talking about it with people because I think I even said, I'm nervous to go because I don't want to be looked down on because I crochet. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I'd ever go. And I literally had other friends be like, yeah, I've had like weird enough experiences that I don't really want to go to a giant. I don't want to pay a bunch of money to be at a place for that to happen to me. Which again, it really sucks because especially like, granted, some of those fiber festivals are like, do you want to spend your money? How much money do you want to spend? Um, which I'm not even going to like touch that. Um, we don't have time <laughs> to unpack that. Um, but it's things like that where it's like making sure you also value other members of your community because I would like, while I definitely make sure I say like, I'm a crochet designer, that's in part. So people don't show up to my, uh, show up to like any of my shop friends and go, wait a minute, there's no knitting patterns here. No, uh, I don't think there ever will be. I'm not good at knitting. Um, but I definitely know I'm still part of a larger fiber community that includes both knitting and crochet and a large variety of other crafts, weaving for one, embroidery. Fiber crafts is a very large overarching word. Um, it is an overarching like craft community. And so it's making sure you're still being good to the other people in that community and not looking down on their work because it's not the same as what you do. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think uh, I it's fresh. It, it doesn't surprise me, but it's really it makes me very sad. I think that like there is such a hierarchy in, in all world, like a social hierarchy in all craft areas, fiber arts, not being, you know, like, I feel like at the top, like we're, you know, knitting is always treated with more cachet and reverence. And, you know, I grew up in a family where like no one knit, we were poor and all the women in my family, they crocheted. And I think it's because you could turn out product a lot, product, whatever. You could turn out your finished product a lot faster, which you needed to because you probably worked and had a family and so many other things you had to do. And, you know, everybody was always crocheting gifts for one another or just taking that time to have time to themselves, right? And I think about all the women I grew up around who like were crocheting and buying those like cheap crochet mag magazines at the grocery store checkout and like, you know, reusing all their yarns. And I, I don't, I, I just feel like knitting has become and always has been this more like middle upper middle class thing and crochet has been lower class. And it's really silly because I do feel like especially for like millennials, like crochet has more aesthetic value. It's, I think it's some of that return to the 70s aesthetics that we're like so many of us are craving. Um, yeah. I know I even described like what I do as like 70s inspired. And you can see it in my patterns um, a little bit, but like oh, more vintage inspired. But that's also like it's that same thing. It's like what Target's trying to emulate. Um, but I mean, I think it's also because you're saying you want it done quickly. I think even if you don't have a lot of time, like, having it done quickly looks different because it's seeing that when you took an hour to yourself, if you took 30 minutes mm-hmm. to yourself, you got more done. I think some of it's just that it's like knowing that if you take 30 minutes, you can actually see progress and you can have that little bit of fulfillment from it versus for 
granted, I'm also not good at knitting, so this is not a good example. Um, but this is what I have of like, it takes me a very long time to knit a square. That's where I'm at with knitting. I can sometimes maybe if I try really hard knit a square. It takes me a lot of hard work to get there. Um, at this point, I'm also fast enough at crochet that it does not take me as long to knit a square or not knit a square, to, but to crochet a square. Um, I think that kind of is linked a little bit where it's like you want to make sure that when you finally have time to yourself that you're getting returns on that. Because like we do deserve to like treat ourselves to something we enjoy and it shouldn't just be this like, well, I sort of made progress, I think. And there's people who knit much quicker than that who are like, I don't know what you're talking about. 30 minutes is so much time. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's not me. It'll never be me. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, time is such a luxury also. Like you were it saying, really like is. T- having that 30 minutes to yourself and to be able to make something in that time is like so important for your mental health. And, you know, don't get me wrong, like knitting can be, like I said, I I really enjoy it. I can find it to be very cathartic when there's a lot of chaos in my mind. But, you know, if I want to even just knit something as simple as a scarf, that's a long project. Yeah. And sometimes it takes me three years to do it because I don't have the luxury of that kind of time for myself. And many, many people are in the same position. And I hate that there's this classism associated with crochet. It doesn't surprise me. This is the world we live in. Uh, but it's it's very disappointing. And I think that's why we don't have like 20-minute like snarky videos about turning clothing, making clothing out of crocheted blankets. <laughs> like I think that everybody's like whatever, yeah. you know? And I think that that's why more people are like, yeah, of course, I $30 is a totally reasonable price for a crocheted sweater at Target. Mm-hmm. Like why wouldn't it be? And I think I also want to like say like speed is super relative because I know I'm not like I know to I think the like outside person I'm pretty fast at crochet but in reality I probably like middle of the pack um and some of that is for me like my tendonitis but like no matter what I think like what you were saying with like knitting is the cathartic it's the rhythm of crochet it's why I love doing anything with like granny squares is because it's that rhythm that I know I'm so familiar with that allows me to crochet during class where it helps me pay attention to my professor more it's that like rhythm that helps me like oh no I'm freaking out and I can like return to it again and again and again and I think no matter what for me at least like part of the joy of bringing more people to the craft and part of the joy of making sure that more people are able to enjoy the craft in like the different communities and the different forms it can come in is ideally giving that to people that beautiful thing of knowing that you have something you can make that you can find joy in and that maybe can give you a little something back so for me it's like managing my ADHD and anxiety for you it's that catharsis for someone else it might be like I made a pretty square it doesn't matter what you're getting out of it I think what matters is that you feel welcome to get that out of it Mm -hmm. is more of what it means I don't know if that made sense, but. (laughs) No, I think that sounds great. That sounds great. One last thing I just wanted to talk about is something that you said when we were talking before. You said social media is keeping crafting alive. Oh, yeah, totally. And I thought that that, I was like, yeah, you're, you're right. In fact, like, I think that social media, especially during the pandemic, made crafting, like, 
I don't know, like aspirational. And it built communities. I mean, social media yeah. built all kinds of communities during the pandemic that I hope aren't going to go away. I was talking to someone last night who said, yeah, like experts in like the social media area are actually saying like engagement is really low right now because people are out living life again, which is great. But I do think that during and the pandemic, we a lot yeah. of us found our people, if you will, uh, who lived far away. I have all these friends who I've never met in real life, right? I know. We all found that. Uh, and I can see how crafting is a major part of that. It, it is. And I think even actually way before the pandemic, I remember having this discussion with a friend, the friend who actually taught me how to crochet. So shout out to Jesse. Um, but where I was like, yeah, I think it's like social media is like how crochet and knitting are like alive still. And she's like, oh, 100%. And it's because you see this thing. And I even I see it on TikTok, like a decent amount, um, as I spend more time on TikTok, where people like, will literally see someone like crocheting or see something doing things because on there you actually have like videos of people like the process like very abbreviated um but like that looks really cool I want to do it too and so sometimes you get like these two tutorials etc but no matter what even on Instagram it's like it makes it so you can build community so if you feel like thrown out of the snobby yarn shop you can kind of like show up there and be like hey I just dropped in here um what's up everybody Um, And you can make those connections, but also you can see things and learn things from people that you might not have had any access to before. So I know I've been slowly dipping my toes into the possibility of learning how to like do tatting lace. I can tell you right now, I would not have one known what tatting lace was if it was not for social media. Two, mm-hmm. would not know who to learn from if it was not for social media. Three, I wouldn't even know what a tatting shuttle is if, mm-hmm. it, if it was not for social media. So we see these things in part because we're putting it in front of people again, um, which is also kind of when you mentioned social media engagements going down. I'm so happy people are, you know, like going and living their lives safely. I implore you to do it safely. Um as someone who's immunosuppressed, I implore you to do it safely. Um, <laughs> but I think it is in some way sad because as we're also seeing like anyone who builds their business off social media, they're like, oh, okay, great, cool. Um, how do I show this to people again? And I think for those of us who have any kind of like, I guess I, I think I put like patterns in like the supplies category of like, I, I help supply people with the tools they need or they want to crochet with it kind of sucks because I'm like no no come back crafting is fun come back (laughs) um but I do still no matter what think that like social media that some of these crafts that might otherwise kind of go unknown about just unknown in general and granted knitting crochet I don't think we're on in the unknown category but there's definitely other crafts that I again I there's another lace that I think it's the bobbin lace I would not know what bobbin lace is period. If it was not for social media, I definitely don't understand how it works. But I now know there's people who literally saw the same person that I did doing their bobbin lace thing. And they're like, I'm going to learn that. And so they're learning these crafts that might have otherwise gone, potentially died, literally. Mm -hmm. And then we would have had to be like trying to resurrect these uh, very large books on how to do it without any of the guidance, because most of these books are also written with an understanding of you have already learned this. I'm not teaching it to you. 
mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's yeah. the same thing I see in like whenever you work with like actual vintage patterns, they are assuming a different level of knowledge. Oh my like, gosh, yeah. so true. I can't somebody. Yeah, I'm like I'm not there. I bought a few patterns yeah. and I was like I don't I don't understand what's happening here at all. Yeah, I <laughs> I because I was using a vintage pattern to like make my wedding dress, and there was definitely times I would consider myself an incredibly skilled crocheter. There was times where I was like I cannot get this dead person alive and make them make this make sense to me. Um, (laughs) I'll be incredibly honest to anyone who's getting into the craft right now, steer clear for the first like few like projects of vintage patterns. Please do yourself that favor. I'm telling you right now, like look at me in my like fake eyes. Don't do that to yourself. Um, So it's, it's things like that though, that no matter what, because those vintage patterns, I think if you don't have any understanding of the craft, they definitely don't make any sense. And so how social media is keeping these crafts alive is honestly kind of magical to me because mm. I, I 100% think more people got in. I know, I know for a fact they did. I literally have people tell me, yeah, I learned how to knit during the pandemic or I learned how to cro- crochet during the pandemic. And I think being able to also see their friends who had been doing it for a while and understand some of those connections they were finally making makes sense is super duper cool. But yeah, that's yeah. one of my opinions. Hopefully, hopefully they made sense. No, I, I agree. I love it. And I hope, you know, there was this great resurgence in craft in the 90s and it became like a cool community driven activity, right? And like craft, which had sort of been like fallen by the wayside in the 80s, it's a very different time to be alive, I guess. Uh, yeah. You know, it regained its sort of like credibility and it's, I don't know, just people it's, appreciated it more, right? It wasn't like yeah. cheesy to knit or crochet or quilt or yeah. any of these things. And it became very, very popular without the internet. And you know, I think it kind of fell through the by the wayside as people were getting more and more into just like avocado toast and traveling and social media and like influencer lifestyle, right? But yeah. it came back and it's come back in a really big way thanks to the pandemic in a strange way, right? And thanks to social media. And it will be interesting to see. I I just feel like our lives have changed so much in the past few years and like what we accept as normal or part of our routine that I can only assume that the next few years are going to be similarly absurd and weird and surprising at the end. And so I don't I'm my hope is like how, you know, and there's no answer for this right now because we don't know what's going to happen, but it'll be interesting to see how theoretically communities that arose online during the pandemic could transition into real life as we're able to be around one another again. And I I wonder if that will happen and how it will be different because one of the things about social media that is both a blessing and a curse is that anybody can be anyone they want. Sometimes that means they're being a total asshole troll, but sometimes it also makes people feel more – it can feel more inclusive in a weird way because everybody's sort of equally anonymous. Uh, and I wonder how – that will transition into real life or if it'll be a lot of people being like, uh, crochet is just like not very innovative or whatever, you know? Such a weird comment. Such a weird comment. So cheesy. Uh, I'm like embarrassed for the person who said that. (laughs) 
Because <laughs> you know they say things like that all the time and they're terrible. Um, well, Basically. that's that's all I had to ask yeah. you. Do you have any like final words of wisdom or parting thoughts you'd like to leave everybody with? Um, I think if you haven't gotten into grafting, do it. It's very fun. Mm-hmm. But I also I beg of you to be smart about not smart. But be conscientious of like who you're buying from, how you're buying things. And if you're wanting to get into crafting, might I recommend the super great place to start of the thrift store. Um, Mm -hmm. There's plenty of projects there. There's plenty of things there that people have started, but then they never (laughs) finished. And they end up there or someone tried to take a crochet and it just didn't work out for them. But don't worry, their hooks and their yarn are there for you now. Um, And no matter what, I can promise you, I, I think crafting is such a good thing. I, I'm i incredibly biased, but I hope if you take it up that you're able to find joy and solace in it the way so many have before you. Yes. Um, and there's a great community waiting for you to enjoy that with. So please come join us. Come play. Yes. Come and join us. It's fun. It's easy. And yes, the thrift stores are full of all the materials you need. Yes. I haven't bought a brand new craft material in so long. It's amazing. <laughs> honestly, honestly, find find your local creative beauty stores. Those are a great place to start. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have a great one here in Austin. All right. Well, thank you so much. This was such a delight. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. Thanks again to Christina for spending a few hours talking to me. You can find her on Instagram at Inchworm Crafts. And she has a whole series of links in her profile for browsing and purchasing her patterns and just generally learning more about her. She's currently participating in the Etsy strike that I discussed in the last episode. So if you're listening to this in April 2022, you're going to have to buy her patterns elsewhere. But there are links for that. I'm personally really excited to see so many makers in our community participating in the Etsy strike. It's really easy to feel like you as one person can't make a difference, especially when it comes to, you know, slaying a huge dragon like Etsy. The same goes for massive companies like Starbucks and Amazon. And yet here we are. I get so excited when I read the news every day about this. Seeing individuals doing the work to unionize, taking that very scary chance in order to make life more equitable and overall better for themselves and others. You don't have to start a union at your job or shut down your business for a week to make an impact, but you can start a lot of people on the path to change within your own sphere of influence, whether that's teaching them about fabric or introducing them to their local buy-nothing group or showing them the magic of secondhand gifts or skipping the quasi-disposable bachelorette party tees in favor of just wearing the same color as a group instead. These things, they seem small, but they make such an impact because they ripple out to more and more people. When you lead by example, when you set the example for a new and better way of living, others notice and they make those changes too. Be the example, be the innovator, be the influence that your community needs. Thanks for listening to another episode of Close Horse. Written, hosted, researched, edited, all the things by me, Amanda Lee McCarty. If you like what you're hearing, please 
leave a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, most importantly, tell a friend. Let's get more people involved in making change and influencing the communities around us. If you'd like to support my work here on Close Horse, you can find out more at patreon.com slash podcast. And thanks, as always, to my other half, Dustin Travis White, for our music and audio support. Bye.